Hey guys, welcome to episode number six of Let's Book Talk. Today we're speaking with Lo Meyer, the author of The Gale, which has become one of my absolute favorite books. Uh, today we'll be talking about the inspiration behind the book, what it's like writing these strong female characters, and so much more. Unfortunately, we get into spoilers for the book, so if you haven't read it, please do, and then come back and listen, because the last thing I would want is for anybody to get spoiled, so do yourself a favor, go read the book first, and then come back and listen, or if you like to live dangerously, listen to the episode, and then go read the book. But without further ado, here's my conversation with Lohmeyer. Enjoy. So it's so funny. I usually start these episodes by like getting into how you develop your passion for, for storytelling and influences and inspirations. But for today, I'm going to leave that for the end because I can't wait to talk about this book. Um, oh, I'm so excited. Okay. So if you could tell me first where the story for this book came from, because like from the first page, I was I was hooked. Like oh, I, okay. I was just all in for the ride. So if you could tell me a bit about where the story of the Gale came from. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So it's actually kind of crazy. I first had the idea for the Gale back in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of been like ruminating there for years. But I first got the idea because um, if you remember Force Awakens came out, I think that was like 2015 or 2016. Yeah. yeah. Right around that time. And I really wanted to see it. And I told my husband that mainly because everyone else was talking about it right now. I was like, oh, I want to get on the bandwagon. Yeah. And he's like, well, you haven't seen any of the previous like you know the first two trilogies have you and I was like mm-hmm. no like I, you know they're always they're lame you know like I don't want to yeah. watch he's like no we're not you can't watch Force Awakens without watching yeah. the first so we watched the first six and I don't know why I didn't think I would like them because I like like you know I loved all things you know Avengers and X-Men and Game of Thrones so it's like I liked all of, like the you know dorky things or whatever that I thought yeah. I should have liked so I don't know why I didn't think I'd like Star Wars but I loved the trilogies I thought was amazing. And the only thing I kept thinking is I feel like more women would like Star Wars from the get-go if it just involved more female characters in mm-hmm. space with swords wearing like cool dresses. Yeah. And it's kind of how I thought of like the whole fantasy with like space futuristic ideas together. And that just kind of started this snowball of the story in my mind. That's so great that you bring that up because I'm a huge Star Wars fan myself. I used to host oh, a Star Wars podcast. Like I was, I've been all in on it for so long. Oh my God, I love that. And, and it was the same kind of thing when Force Awakens, when the Force Awakens came out, it was like that resurgence um, oh of, of that story. Not only the story, but these kinds of characters. Um, 100%. And, you know, with your book, all of the characters were so well written and well thought out and the attachment was there like right from the beginning. So if you could talk to me a bit about how the development for Jacqueline, Dax, Axel, Killian, and and, and all these characters, how that went for you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I just wanted to write characters that we're dealing with these, right? It's a story where you're dealing with these crazy stakes that we don't deal with right now in present mm-hmm. day for the most part, right? Right. Um, but I wanted to write the characters in a way that still made them feel real and relatable. So even if Jacqueline is this dystopian princess who you couldn't, you know, you don't live her life and you'll never live her life unless you live 300 years in the future. Yeah. Um, you can still relate to her in like the mental struggles she goes through and the problems she has with her parents and, um, what she's grappling with, with all the new information she's receiving from the deviants. Mm-hmm. 
So I just wanted to write them in a way that made them larger than life, but also relatable at the same time. Yeah. And I will say that for Axel, Maverick, and Killian, um, there was strong influence with my love for Blank-182 and just their kind of uh, mannerisms, like boyishness yeah. that just seems to carry on for their entire life is kind of how I like came about with that group of characters. Oh, that's so awesome. Because that whole dynamic with that group was just one of my favorite parts of the book. Um, and, you know, when we're first getting the sense of what actually is going on, and again, I'm going to try to stay away from spoilers. I'm not going to promise anything because like, I need to know, but I, know. I need to talk about it. I need um, to like be careful what I say too about the yeah. future. Make sure I don't give anything away. <laughs> oh my God. It's so hard. Um, so when you're, when you as the reader are starting to figure out, okay, Jacqueline's learning all this new information. We're learning all this new information. Things might not be what they seem. That inner struggle of her being newly attached in a way to these people that she thought were one way. And now she's like, okay, everything I knew was pretty much not the case. Mm -hmm. um, what was it like getting into the minds of the deviants as well as the mind of Jacqueline when they're viewing this person from a warring kingdom and she's viewing these people that she's been told all her life, don't associate with them. What was it like writing that part of the story? That was probably one of the most challenging parts, just making sure that it felt real, that, you know, people would be questioning those who have different backgrounds, especially in their society as it is at mm -hmm. the start of the book. Um, so you want to, I wanted to make sure that it was, it felt like it could actually happen, but at the same time, make sure their relationships were progressing. Yeah. So it was a, I feel like it was a big study in like, how do humans react to things? And we all react differently, which is what I tried to show with the group of deviants that each of them kind of has a different reaction to her at a different point. You mm -hmm. know, they don't all buy in right away to who she right. is. Um, and some buy in sooner than others and warm up to her sooner than others. So, but yeah, it was a little challenging. I'm not going to lie. The the first comparison that I made with that group was um, with the group that was with Violet in Fourth Wing, you know, yes. Riddick and, and everybody. I thought it was just such a similar vibe that I really gravitated towards in Fourth Wing. And then, of course, we moved towards the relationship between Jacqueline and Dax. What was that? What was developing that relationship like? You know, especially when we have these books like Fourth Wing, Akatar, yeah. Throne of Glass. You know, what was it like writing that character and writing that relationship? Yeah. So I, when I started writing the book, I started writing in 2020 and mm -hmm. I had honestly only read Akatar, the series. And I had read it like two years before, like in like 2018. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, I feel like I didn't have a lot of preconceived notions of to like who book boyfriends were like I, yeah. I have an English lit degree but I studied a lot of like renaissance literature like Shakespeare and stuff and there's not right. you know like Hamlet's not really a book boyfriend you know so like I feel like it was kind of a it was more I didn't have any outside influences I really felt like in in writing Dax um mm -hmm. and who he was but with their relationship it was honestly really instinctual the mm. first scene I ever had after coming up with the crazy like women in space with swords thing from Star Wars. Um, the yeah. first scene I actually had was the scene that happens in chapter two where they first see one another. And it just like yeah. popped into my mind. And I feel like in that scene, their characters and who they are are pretty established. Like, you know mm -hmm. who they are in that scene. And that's just how they've developed ever since was just their interactions was so dominated by that first meeting. That first meeting, as well as the moment when 
Um, and, and I highlighted so much stuff in the book that I wish I could just, you know, pick up my Kindle right now, go back to it. But um, I'm going to spoil something for people. If you don't want to listen, press pause or, or, you know, skip forward. But when we start to have the conversations about who is the one and, you know, oh, they, they must be Gail Bourne. And then you get the sense while reading like, OK, this connection that Jacqueline has with Dax She, he's alluding to her having this sort of power that can only come about as far as I know from somebody with, you know, uh, that is Gale in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. um, the moment when they're training and she strikes and then there's that like explosion of power. Mm -hmm. When you were like thinking about sort of introducing her power in that way, Why did you feel like it was the best choice to do it in the training sequence? I just felt like it was the training part of the Gale is a big part of Jacqueline's development, right? Of gaining Mm -hmm. that physical strength, which, you know, commutes to her internal strength as well. And Yeah. so I felt like it was a really poignant place to put that first showing of her power because that's where she's really learned to gain that strength throughout the book. And it's been kind of like a safe place for her. You know, the Mm villains hmm don't come into that space. So to me, it just was kind of the perfect place for her to first experience it in a, a safer area. Yeah, and 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 it's the reaction too of everybody where they're like, "What just happened?" What? Yeah, You they're know, like, what is happening here? yeah, and I love that because, you know, towards the end, again, spoilers, but I have to talk about it. Um, we get the sense that Dax has kind of guessed that, yeah, you know, I kind of figured it would be you, but Mm -hmm. you Yeah. know, I wasn't hundred percent sure. Um, and then, you know, once we have that, and then once everybody else is sort of just on board. And I wanted to go back to the point where she was, you know, planning her escape and then kind of tells everybody what she was doing. There was no hostile reaction from Yeah. the group. And what was the importance behind making that choice for nobody to be like, wait, why did you want to escape? Are you trying to, you know, betray us? You know, Yes. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I think for me, writing that was trying to reflect the deviant's age, because I think throughout so much of the book, they're in this peacetime, you know, period of their lives. So they're partying and they're having fun and they're trying not Mm. Yeah. to have any errors. And they kind of allude to that. And so I think um, to have her tell them it would be It would it flowed better, I guess, with their age, the fact that they're older, they've lived centuries on Earth, they have the ability to like not react to things like maybe a typical teenager would Right. um, and goes along with Casey's mention in the first few chapters where, you know, we all come from different backgrounds and, you know, there's good and bad in every kingdom Yeah. Um, kind of goes with the fact that they've probably seen a lot in their backgrounds as well, make them more forgiving of people's mistakes and make them more understanding of people with different backgrounds. And I think, well, I know in book two and book three, you'll find out more about their backgrounds and why perh
why did you want to have that relationship, you know, right off the bat? Yeah, I think it it gave Jacqueline a a reason to believe what the deviants were telling her by mm. giving someone who comes from her culture and her home. It gave her not only someone to kind of like fall back on like, hey, is what they're saying actually true? Like, is this actually happening? At least for part of the book, she can verify it with Lana. Um, But moreover, to have that home connection. So she perhaps doesn't feel so alien and so out there that she has someone that she can fall back on and someone Mm -hmm. who knows her life because they've lived the same in the same kingdom as she has. So it's having that like familiarity there for her. Right. And and I think also the conversation they have um, when Jacqueline's trying to get a better sense of what's happening outside the palace in Kaurang mm-hmm. and and what is actually happening to these people in the suburbs, is the situation as bad as Dax is telling me yeah. it is? And she kind of says, "Yeah, it it's pretty bad." Um, yeah. How do you think? I mean, obviously, you know where the story is going. Um, how do you think Jacqueline may try to? In her own mind, um, you know, while she's still trying to believe that her family doesn't have a hand in what's going on in that regard, mm-hmm. what what kind of mental gymnastics do you think she has to do to sort of justify the actions that have been taking place without her knowing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot. I think you see her grappling with that throughout the entire first book that and I think that's something that we as humans can really relate to Mm. when the veil of a certain situation is perhaps like ripped away. And all of a sudden, we're thinking, wait, was everyone lying to us? Am I missing something? Like what happened here? And I think that you see her grappling with that throughout the entire first book. And she's going to continue to grapple with that for sure. That's something that I think throughout the series, she's going to have to really figure out how she's going to come to terms with thinking yeah. about that whole situation and figuring out the truth behind it all. I I can't wait for that because I know for a second, I thought that the story was actually going to pivot and she was actually going to escape and make it back yeah. and then kind of confront everything that was being told to her and then go back to the Gale and be like, oh my God, you know, I am on your side 100%. Mm-hmm. But I love the way that things happen because, and of course, he is the worst kind of person, Romano, in, yes. in this book. Yeah. Um, but that was sort of that plot point where you see Dak's commitment to Jacqueline and taking mm-hmm. care of that situation. Um, what was it like writing his character? And, and did you have any inspiration for where you drew that, like, just ferociousness and and just disgusting behavior by Romano. Yeah, you know, I think it has a lot to do with just, um, you know, pent up, perhaps feelings regarding just the patriarchy in general, Mm. and what comes from that. And I think a lot of my villains, you can probably see reflected in current leaders that we have, um, that is done purposefully. And there wasn't necessarily maybe one person I had in mind when I wrote Romano, um, or, Um, any of the other villains, but it was more so Mm -hmm. just this idea, this pervasive sense of just being, he can be whoever he wants to be simply by nature of how he was born. And I just Mm -hmm. feel like that's kind of what I drew on is those contemporary figures we have who kind of think the same way. Yeah. And and I thought that was so effective because, you know, there were even certain things that he was saying where I'm like, I know where I heard that. Yeah. And it was, it was perfect. Um, and a moment where I'll be honest, for a second, 
you almost made me believe that when the king returned and Jacqueline's being taken to the throne room and then you were writing, you know, Dax's stare was just, you know, no emotion. Like everything that had been going on was, was ended for Yeah. a second. I was like, oh my God, this might actually be, you know, at least for now, he might think the worst of her. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's amazing. I'm glad that I accomplished that because that's exactly yeah. what I wanted you to think. Yeah. Oh my God. I thought for a second, I was like, oh no, I'm going to have to wait till book two to figure out if, you know, the truth What happened? actually comes out. Mm hmm. Um, and then we, we see the, uh, you know, that torture sequence with Jacqueline and Romano when Dax returned um, and, you know, took care of business with everybody else. Was that always the plan it, while you were writing the story to have that take place in book one? Or was there ever um, the thought of maybe and it ending on sort of a cliffhanger? So I did originally write it to be a cliffhanger, not Okay. at the place that you think it would be a cliffhanger at, Okay. which totally I can definitely see that would make sense. The betrayal, what's Sure. going to happen? Does he find out or not? Um, the cliffhanger came a little bit later after the battle was waged and everything. I won't say too much because that cliffhanger, I actually just moved to the start of book two. Okay. Uh, so it's still there. It's a major, it's like the catalyst of book two, basically. Okay. Um, so I, I'm excited about it. It's honestly, I loved the ending, but when I was reading it, I'm, I felt, and I like cliffhangers, but I think Yeah. especially for the first book, I wanted to make sure that I had all the loose ends I needed tied up and that there were no questions left. Sure. And I know that cliffhangers are also some readers really do not like cliffhangers Yeah. too. So I did like tread lightly and not do too much, but yeah, I definitely thought about a cliffhanger. Okay, that's good to know because I was just I was waiting for it, honestly. Yeah. And and when it didn't come, I was like, yes, you know, we can still I know. I do. move I feel forward. like that's pretty standard, <laughs> you know, yeah. for, for YA books, especially fantasy and any sort of dystopian to end on a cliffhanger. But yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and another thing that I really enjoyed that you did in the story was when we were learning the backstory of what had happened um with Dax's mother, uh, with Scarletti's daughter. reading the uh the diary um that was really powerful for me because it wasn't just exposition for exposition's sake you know to to have it there but it was you know it was just a really great tool to use to explain some of the backstory was that always the plan as well to have it have that backstory be explained through those Um, entries in that diary or was there maybe another plan if Dax was going to like divulge that story on his own? No, it was really important to me. I feel like oftentimes, and I I love all fantasy literature. I'll never talk bad about another author Mm-hmm. or their book at all. But a problem I often have with just really any books where there's a female main character and a male main character is it often feels like the male main character, especially in new world situations, is kind of like leading the female character along. Sure. And it feels like a lot of her knowledge is dependent on what he will or will not tell her. And I wanted Jacqueline to gain that independence and that knowledge on her own, independently of him. That was really important part of the story for me. So I didn't necessarily always think it would be like a journal sequence where it would happen, but I wanted to make sure that when she was learning this information, it was through texts and books that she might not regularly have access to. So Right. the ones in the library and then the journals, 
um, banned books and texts are such an important part of the story and they get even more important as the story goes on. So that was mm-hmm. something that I really wanted to establish in that first book. That's awesome because you you planted those seeds in the first chapter when she wanted to be included in those meetings with her father and with Finn about, okay, what's actually going on? They're like, no, you know, your, your place is here. You're not supposed to be involved in this stuff. And then in in the, when she's with Dax, he takes her out. And of course they face the, uh, they, they, you know, skid by by the skin of their teeth when um, that raid happens. Um, So with that, when you're writing a female main character, what is sort of your number one goal when crafting those characters? Is is there any one thing in particular that you really want to get 100% right? I think to just make the female main characters more real. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the books I read, um, you know, and I think it's just common to write female main characters that are just strong from the get-go. They've, you know, their families are disenfranchised. They have to feed them or, and you see that that's just a common character throughout books. And I love those characters, but I don't feel connected to them right away. It takes me a little bit to connect to them because I don't, I don't live that life. If I don't, you know, go out and kill our mules and things like that. And so I wanted a character in all my female main characters that you could almost see as have as living today, you know, they live a very different life, but they, you know, do things that you would normally do um, as a woman today. Yeah. And I thought the way that, that her story sort of just unfolds is super relatable because I mean, she's out hanging out with her friends at a club and then, you know, she's thrust into this situation where, She's taken prisoner. And and at this point, I feel like everybody would sort of react the same way. Like, what is going on? Yeah. And it's not like she has the this, you know, amazing skill set that you'll be like, okay, she's gonna make it out of here, no problem. Totally. You know, she has to go through that entire experience. Um now when it comes to this genre in particular, what is it about it that really, you know, attracts you to writing this kind of story with these kinds of characters? Yeah, I think I've always been fascinated with post-apocalyptic and dystopian literature. I mm-hmm. read a lot of um, Margaret Atwood in school and I was just yeah. in Girl, and I was just like fascinated by the ways in which they can tell a story that happens in either an alternate universe or in a future universe, but make it feel like it could actually happen. Like it seems right. so outlandish, but you can see all the seeds that have been planted yeah. in our world today. And so I think that's part of why I wanted to write this story is that it's just fascinating to me being able to take a future time, but have it feel like it could potentially happen and then kind of muddle the timeline. So you're not quite sure if it's like happening in the past or in the future or in the present. That's, yeah. I think I, I love books like that. And that's, I just wanted to tell a story like that. That's also my favorite genre, not only in books, but in TV shows and movies, anything with mm-hmm. that dystopian touch. I, I love it. Like there was a show that right. came out I think last year on Apple TV called Silo. Um, oh, I've heard of that. It was like, I can think kind of the same thing, a, a nuclear war and these people are living underground and it's just so good. And, and yeah. I felt the same vibes with this story where, again, it's something that you could totally see happening. Right. You know, right. where some uh, an attack like this happens 300 years into the future, the world could look completely different. And right. We have no idea. We have no idea. Right. Um, now, the book came out late last year. Mm-hmm. Um, what has been because obviously 
if I love this book, I know a ton of people did too. So when you were getting ready to publish the book, what was going through your mind in terms of, you know, you're living with this story for a while and then you're getting ready to put it out into the world. What was going through your mind in those moments? I mean, I was really nervous. I, you know, I mean, you're putting yourself out there and you're being very yeah. vulnerable. And in, in my other job that I do as a blogger, I do the same thing where I'm constantly putting myself out there, but this is different because this is like an original piece of work, mm -hmm. right? Like my own thoughts and feelings. And I poured so much of my heart onto the page that it was yeah. just really hopeful people would like it. And I knew that in the, and it's not like I knew the story would like, you know, be amazing or, or that the book would do well or something like that. Like, obviously I hoped it would, but I was so attached to these characters that I was like, people cannot possibly read this book and not love them as much as I love them. Yeah. Like, I just love the story so much that I was like, it's just gotta work. Like people, I've got to find an audience out there that likes it. Like, I know I'll find them. Yeah. Um, and I am now finding it and it's honestly been amazing. I did not experience, like expect to experience this at all. So this is amazing. That's so awesome because I, from the moment I finished it, I was like, yeah, this needs to be in the tier of like Akatar and Fourth Wing and, and these books because they are just, you know, when I get to reading, you know, especially a fantasy book and I just keep turning the pages and I start to highlight, mm -hmm. I start to like audibly react to what's going on. To me, that is like the telltale sign that I love the book. And that happens so often. Um, I love that. That's amazing. Now, yeah, of course. It was just, it was, it was so good. Um, now, when you were going through the editing process, was there any decision that you made that kind of broke your heart a little bit that you had to take out? No, I, you know, I didn't really have to take a lot out of the book. Okay. Um, I worked with a developmental editor, which is something I would tell any author to do, especially for their first book, because I feel like it just gave me so many storytelling devices and ideas. You know, I was stuck in a few places and it's not like she told me what to write, but she would be like, potentially think of, you know, these few plot devices you could use to ramp up the tension. And it's like, oh, now all of a sudden I have this scene in my mind that I can use. Mm -hmm. uh, so I actually didn't take a lot away. I ended up adding like 10,000 words to the okay. manuscript and then it was cut back a little bit during like proofing and things like sure. that. But yeah, I just added more to the book um, and rearranged a ton of stuff. So it, yeah. it was a little bit of a mental scramble for a few months trying to do it all. Was there any, any uh, plot point and you don't have to say what it was, but was there any plot point that you were going to include in book one that you're saving for book two and three? Yes. Okay. Yeah, definitely like information being revealed at the right time. Um, okay. Saving some of that for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Now I have to ask this question because like I'm dying to get to book two, but um, is there anything you can tell us about book two right now without giving, you know, any any crucial information away? Um, well, I can, like, I, you know, I did mention the whole cliffhanger thing. So mm -hmm. that um, is there. I think if if you have been wanting more of the dystopian side, because it was a little bit heavy on the fantasy for sure, just like sure. the themes and especially until we get to the end, um, you're going to be getting a lot more dystopian in the subsequent books, for sure. A lot more of that traditional, what you think of as dystopian, yeah. for sure, with still fantasy obviously mixed in. Um, and then I can tell you that the second book is written with Dax's point of view as well as Jacqueline. Okay. So it'll be wow. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Now, do you have any idea of um a potential release date for book two, or is that still sort of in the works? I'm shooting for this fall, kind of a okay. similar release date as the last one. I 
am about 60 pages into writing book two. Um, okay. so, and I just spent a lot of time revising. I've had a like huge long outline for the whole series. I have it all plotted out, but after working with that developmental editor last summer, yeah. it gave me a lot of ideas to bring to book two. So I was really reworking and refining a lot of those outlines the last month and a half or so, mm -hmm. but I just finished today. So I'll be jumping back into writing on Monday and I'm so awesome. excited and I can still use all the 60 pages I've written so far. All of that still works. So super excited. Awesome. awesome. That's so great to hear. Um, is there anything else that you are working on or is the Gale your number one focus right now? I do have another, um, I would, it's probably more new adult, uh, series that I started mm -hmm. and it, I would say it's, um, the war, it's a modern retelling of the wars of the roses, which is a medieval civil yeah. war. Um, and just think of kind of like West side story, you know, gangs in two different in cities battling yeah. it out um so i i have a couple chapters written of that but i've decided to wait and begin writing that again sure. until after i'm done with this series there's awesome. too many ideas at once. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i can imagine yeah um now you mentioned margaret atwood uh earlier what mm -hmm. other you know inspirations you know come to mind when you're not only writing but when you're devising these stories in your mind before you actually get pen to paper yeah, it's honestly, I feel like I'm inspired by everything. Like just last night we were watching, you know, the nightly news and my yeah. husband was talking to me and I'm like, wait, hold on a second. They just said something and I like <laughs> got an idea quick for, you know, so it's like, I'm yeah. always constantly harvesting ideas. I feel yeah. like from everything, um, but literary wise, I feel like I, I studied, like I said, a lot of like Renaissance and Victorian in the classics, like think of like Ovid and Homer um, mm -hmm. And Margaret Atwood, obviously, in college. And I feel like I take a lot of the experience I have in those books with me now, especially if you think about um, like the gothic elements you see in a lot of Victorian literature. Um, you see those kind of play out in like the dream sequences and the woman in black. Yeah. A lot of that comes from I love that kind of like spooky, yeah. makes you kind of question reality feeling that you get in Victorian literature. And I feel like that I definitely feel that influence in the book. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's honestly, the answer is pretty much everything I can get an influence from and I will use in the book. Awesome. Oh my God. I, everything you said is makes you so excited for the next book and this whole series. Oh. Um, now I know you mentioned, uh, a developmental editor is something that you would recommend mm -hmm. for authors. Uh, now for any aspiring authors out there that, you know, are in the middle of writing their book, um, uh, maybe getting ready for it to publish or are just starting out to, you know, develop their plot. Um, on that front, what advice do you have for them to just keep going, trusting their creative process to just get the thing written and then we can worry about everything else after? Yeah, I think it's just to be, to recognize that not everything's going to go the way you think it's going to go. And you're mm -hmm. definitely, you're going to fail. That's inevitable. You know, in anything new you try, you're going to fail a few times at least. And I think it's just remembering to fail forward and learning the lessons that whatever failure taught you. Uh, and internalizing those and not repeating the same mistakes if you can. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, it's a lot of perseverance. It's a lot of belief. And if you love your story, if you, like I said, if you are so obsessed with your characters and so obsessed with your story, there will be at least one other person out there who feels the same way. Like, and Absolutely. probably there's gonna be a lot more, but if you love the story and you're so excited about it, there's a reason for that. And other people are gonna love it too. Awesome. Well, Lo, thank you so much. 
for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I appreciate the invite. Of course. Uh, before I let you go, if you could just tell people where they can find the book, where they can find you online and, and anything else uh, or any other way that they can support you, that would be great. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you can find me across all socials um, at underscore Lohmeyer underscore. Uh, and then the book you can buy pretty much anywhere online that you can buy books, including Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And I am selling signed copies through TikTok shop. Awesome. All right, guys, y'all know what to do. Definitely go out and read The Gale. I am not lying to you when I'm saying this is your next obsession. Like that is the best way I can describe it. Uh, I'm, I, I can't wait for book two. I can't wait for the entire series. So please go out, read this, rate it, review it, uh, and support Lo any other way you can, especially give her a follow on TikTok um, to keep uh, abreast of any updates. So Again, Lo, thank you so much for joining, and you guys, we'll see you next week. Thank you.